Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome back. Here's why you should watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. One of the world's largest Bitcoin mining pools has dried up. We explain how they work and what pool and wallet pausing withdrawals means for you. Plus, we'll do a deep dive into the leading crypto price driver, Macro. Darius Dale explains why the Fed has had such a big impact on the price of Bitcoin. And as always, we'll break our conversation with Darius down into the key takeaways. My name is Nico Bruga. With me, as always, we have Ash Bennington. Don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button on YouTube, or join us on the Real Vision platform. Now, let's get right into the latest price action. Starting with Ethereum today as it undergoes a major step ahead of the long-anticipated merge. ETH is surging after it underwent the Bellatrix hard fork earlier today, a major upgrade in preparation for the merge. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin has confirmed on Twitter the main event is still scheduled for next week, so the countdown is on. Ash, what are you seeing on the side of Bitcoin? Well, unlike Ethereum, Nico, Bitcoin is pretty flat, hovering around the 20,000 mark right now, 20,000 US dollars, of course. Bitcoin has been unable to consistently stay above that threshold over the past week. Some analysts have speculated that BTC could soon test June lows of below 18,000. I believe our top story, unfortunately, Nico, is not great for Bitcoin sentiment. You're right, Ash, it's not. Poolin, one of the largest Bitcoin mining pools, has, has suspended withdrawals from its wallet service. Customers are unable to take their money out, do any flash trades or internal transfers. It comes just a day after the Poolin CEO admitted the company has had liquidity problems. Poolin particularly blames a dull crypto market for the issues. It says it will present some proposed solutions for its customers within the week. Ash, let's start with the basics. What's a Bitcoin mining pool? Well, Nico, Bitcoin mining pools are where liquidity gets aggregated to mine Bitcoin. This is part of a progression that we've seen in the way that Bitcoin gets mined. Uh, originally, it was CPUs, individual computers, then later to GPUs on those computers, finally to ASICs, uh, which are the application-specific integrated circuits that run mining in a modern Bitcoin mining environment. And finally, I guess on top of all of that, in terms of the hardware transition, we see ASICs mining pools. This is an example of one of those mining pools, uh, and this is where the challenges are today. You know, lots of people may be hearing about these mining pool weaknesses for the first time. Wait, that's a thing they may be asking? Yes, it's a thing. And by the way, Poolin is a very large one. It's nearly 10% of global hash rate for mining Bitcoin. So this is a substantial story. Uh, it could get even larger if there are challenges that are not able to be solved with the changes that they're making at Poolin right now, we're going to continue to watch this very closely, Nico. Absolutely. But before we move on to our other stories, what do the issues at Poolin tell us about the wider Bitcoin and cryptocurrency markets, Ash? Many viewers, myself included, would feel anxious seeing potentially yet another big crypto company fail. 
Yeah, well, pooling isn't a, a company per se. It's an aggregator of liquidity. But, you know, your point is spot on, Nico. This is really a challenge that we've seen more broadly across the crypto space in various permutations. Ultimately, what you're seeing here is the risk of any type of yield generation strategy, not your keys, not your coin, if they're not secured off chain, if you're participating in some mechanism to attempt to generate yield, whether it's DeFi uh, or engaging in a mining pool, there's always potential risk. And just one last question: Why do Bitcoiner, uh, Bitcoin miners form pools? Is it basically just uh, we come together and uh, we can sort of all increase our yield, or is it something else? Well, what it's really about, Nico, is the probability of winning any individual block on Bitcoin in the mining process. So, so what you're seeing here is aggregation of that risk. So effectively, what you're doing is you're increasing the probability that someone in your mining pool is going to get a hit, but you're lowering the payout, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Ash. Now, here are some other stories we're following today. First up, The Guardian reports the United Kingdom has updated its rules for crypto exchanges. The chain concerns activity that could fall under government sanctions. If an exchange suspects one of their clients is a person or company hit by sanctions, it must report it to the authorities. Otherwise, the exchange could be committing a criminal offense. The explicit addition of, quote, crypto assets to the official guidance brings it in line with other types of assets. The word used also means it could cover NFTs as well as cryptocurrencies. This comes after fears earlier in the year that Russia was dodging sanctions by using crypto. Ash, this appears to be another example of a changing regulatory landscape where regulators try to catch up with the relentless pace of the digital space. Nico, I think this is part of a massive secular story in crypto, perhaps the secular story in crypto now that everyone needs to be watching. You know, for many years, nation states, central banks, global regulators took a hands-off approach to regulating crypto. Uh, they let innovation just kind of happen. This was a very good thing for the crypto ecosystem. Now it seems that the pendulum may be swinging in the opposing direction. Uh, many nation states and central banks have their key levers of power around financial type of innovation, financial services. You mentioned this could potentially be a threat. You mentioned specifically sanctions regimes. I'll add two other important ones here. AML and KYC, that's anti-money laundering and know your client, things like tax avoidance uh, and money laundering, obviously something that is very much in the interest of nation states in their view to continue to regulate. I'll add another one to that, which is monetary policy transmission mechanisms. That's the ability of central banks to control inflation and growth in economies. These are massive levers of power for nation states. They are in many ways the basis of the post-war, meaning post-World War II world order here. I suspect we're moving towards what may become something of an arms race here between central banks, nation states, and regulators on the one hand, and cryptocurrency on the other. Now, I'm not taking a moral position here. I'm not describing uh, what I think should occur. I'm just describing what I see happening. And I think what we're going to see is more of the same. You know, governments and central banks, I suspect, are going to move to dominate these key choke points uh, in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Choke points here is kind of a metaphor for what you see with the way, for example, the United States Navy dominates sea lanes uh, to maintain global trade or the, the, the power that the United States has in regulating global trade. Specifically, I see three. The first is the on-off ramps here in the cryptocurrency space. 
These are centralized exchanges like you're talking about in this story. The second is stable coins. We already saw that a little bit. Uh, we had this conversation last week uh, about USDC Circle blacklisting certain wallet addresses around the Tornado Cash uh, story. And potentially, I'll add one more for the future, which is CBDC, Central Bank digital currencies. I guess the real question here is the the next order question is, will nation states uh, be successful? The answer to this is, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I was up till about uh, two o'clock in the morning debating this with one of my buddies on Third Avenue. He's a very smart blockchain developer. He argued that nation states will not be successful. I played kind of the devil's advocate position uh, and argued that they will be successful, partly because I just wanted to have this debate somewhere outside my own head, and I wanted someone to argue the contrary. This is a a massive story here. I think this is a huge frame. I think this is going to be potentially the big story for 2022, 2023, 2024, how this sort of uh, arms race, this potential chess match takes place. There are going to be moves and counter moves. This really is just the tip of the iceberg, what we're talking about with this story, Nico. Thank you for that, Ash. And so just a friendly reminder to our viewers, if you see Ash Bennington or anyone ranting and raving about crypto at two or three in the morning at Third Ave, do not worry. They are not crazy. They're just way into this. Better yet, um, come and join us. Oh, absolutely. Maybe we'll do it as an episode of this show even. Um, all right. On to our next story, one that Forbes is calling the beginning of stablecoin wars. The world's largest crypto exchange, Binance, has announced that it will automatically convert multiple rival stablecoins into its own BUSD. It says users' existing balances and new deposits of USDC, USDP, and TUSD TUSD will be changed into BUSD on September 29th. The exchange ratio will be one-to-one -one and users will still be allowed to withdraw funds into those stable coins. Ash, this is, a, this is a surprising and bold move by Binance. What does this mean for those affected stable coins as well as the wider market? Why is Binance doing this? Well, first Nico, let me just say, I'm grateful I'm not the one who had to read all those acronyms this morning. Uh, <laughs> I think this is a very big deal uh, for the broader crypto market. Why is Binance doing it? I think that's a pretty easy question to answer, actually, for two reasons. Uh, one, because they can, and two, because it's in their interest to do it. Uh, you know, as of the uh, right now, if you read the story, uh, if you read the blog post on the Binance website, uh, users can still withdraw USDC. They can still withdraw all the traditional stable coins uh, in their traditional form. You know, Binance is the largest centralized exchange uh, in terms of the daily volume by over an order of magnitude. That's just another way of saying that this is absolutely huge uh, and potentially a bellwether for the space. You know, Nico, this sort of is at the the, uh, the junction point of two of my uh, choke points that I just described in the last question, the on-off ramps for crypto like centralized exchanges and stable coins. So it is interesting to see how this is going to work. It also seems to me that, that Binance here uh, may be taking on, a, I don't want to use the term liability, because it's a legal term, but they may be taking on a greater sort of uh, level of involvement, let's say, in the regulatory regimes wars that I'm talking about that may be potentially beginning right now. Uh, it's a really interesting story, and I think it's one that we're going to continue to watch. And, and by the way, let's see what other exchanges do if they follow suit in the wake of this, Nico. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Absolutely, Ash. And finally, our final story. FIFA, the global governing body for soccer or football, football for our non-American viewers, is launching its NFT platform for the upcoming World Cup. It will be called FIFA Plus and it will launch later this month and run on Algorand. Algorand is a proof-of-stake blockchain developed by Sylvia McCauley, an MIT professor in 2019. Ash actually sat down with him last year to discuss all things Algorand. Indeed, FIFA entered into a partnership with Algorand all the way back in May. Ash, what do you make of this? Well, you know, Nico, soccer is a massively popular sport globally. Americans tend not to think about it as much because we have other sports that are very popular here. But it is just massive. Data for this is sometimes poorly sourced. But a few years ago, Bloomberg reported that more than 40% of the world's population consider themselves soccer fans. So it's literally billions of people that we're talking about here. Uh, FIFA, not an acronym necessarily that's super familiar to people in the United States. But this is an international organization. It's the, the sort of umbrella regulatory organization. Organization. And this uh, this is really a, quite a big story because of the total addressable market uh, in terms of the number of soccer fans in the world. As you said, it's interesting that FIFA selected Algorand. Algorand has often been of interest to folks in the crypto space because it has a novel consensus mechanism. As you said, it was created by MIT professor Silvio McCauley, uh, who is uh, who is a, a Turing Prize winner. This is a really brilliant computer scientist. He's uh, one of the co-developers of Zero Knowledge Proofs back in the 80s when it was literally just math on paper. Uh, so it's interesting for that reason as well. I think that Algorand has always been in search of some use cases. This could potentially be a large one because of the total addressable market of the soccer uh, of, of soccer globally. I should add, Nico, over the weekend, I watched All or Nothing Arsenal season one on Netflix. It was, uh, excuse me, on Amazon. Fantastic series. Really, you know, the lure of soccer around the world. It's incredibly powerful. People just love this sport. Absolutely. I mean, Ash, just so you're aware and all our viewers are aware, if the Dutch are playing in the World Cup, I will not be present at work that day. Hoop, Paul, and hoop to all my fellow Dutchies. Um, Ash, you know me, I could talk football all day long. Very glad to hear you're getting up on those gunners. Been a big fan <laughs> since the Bearcamp uh, Thierry Henry days. Wow. Uh, and it's great to see them uh, playing so well, despite the loss against me and you this weekend. Um, all right. Big so game. back. Sorry? It's a big game. Big game, absolutely. Um, as much as I'd like to only discuss this, I guess we have other things to discuss. So um, while the FIFA story is interesting, when you look at it through the perspective of algorithm, in bullish times, this sort of announcement would likely cause a huge spike in the price of Algorand. It did happen briefly before the token flatlined. This is because there's no escaping the broader investor sentiment and the main crypto driver right now, macro. Understanding macro is key to understanding what's happened with what's happening with cryptocurrencies. As our own Rao Powell likes to say, crypto is macro, macro is crypto. Considering that, Ash spoke with Darius Dale, who's well known to the viewers of Real Vision Daily Briefing. Darius is the CEO and founder of 42 Macro. Ash and Darius began by discussing the main factors investors are looking at right now from a macro perspective. Let's take a listen. I'll start by saying on the macro front, uh, you know, I don't need, I, it's not rocket science to tell everyone that clearly we're in a liquidity cycle downturn. If you look at 
what the Fed is doing with respect to its interest rate policy, uh, what the yeah. Fed is doing with respect to its balance sheet. Uh, in fact, quantitative tightening uh, here in the month of September is actually expected to double uh, based on the Fed's guidance. Um, the most important dynamic as it relates to uh, liquidity or some of those changes uh, in and around the Fed's balance sheet surrounding the Fed, the Treasury Department, and also surrounding the Fed's reverse repo facility. Now, that might sound like some, some you know, very big words for those who are not too, uh, paying too close attention to this stuff. So I actually put together a couple of slides here for, for the audience to sort of understand what I think is the, probably the most important driver of asset markets, of cryptocurrency markets, of Bitcoin, et cetera. Um, so the first slide we have, um, this is straight out of our uh, monthly macro scouting report presentation at 42 Macro, uh, where we show net liquidity as, as, as in terms of how we calculate it here uh, at 42 Macro, which is the Fed's balance sheet minus the Treasury General Account balance, which is effectively the Treasury Department's checking account with the Fed when it goes up, it's draining reserves from the system. When it goes down, it's adding reserves to the system. So things are getting easier. Uh, trades are getting easier to finance, et cetera, et cetera, in the hedge fund community. And then lastly, uh, we also subtract the reverse repo facility balance, which in effect, for all intents and purposes, when that thing goes up, it's a black hole for capital. When it goes down, you're seeing excess liquidity go back into markets. And so the net result of all those different dynamics is that we're very likely, based on quantitative tightening, to trend lower in terms of this aggregate measure of net liquidity. Um, and one of the things that's actually uh, been supportive of net liquidity off the lows of June, if we go to the next slide on slide 71, is this sort of drawdown in the Treasury General Account balance, Ash. Uh, we've seen basically around $150 to $200 billion of the Treasury's checking account go down. So basically, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is basically spending money and putting it into the economy. You know, some would argue it might be, you know, conveniently ahead of a midterm election. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go there. Uh, that's certainly not the audience. This is not the forum for that. But the reality is we're, we're finally getting to levels, at least according to our previous guidance, that would suggest some of these, you know, let's call them shenanigans, are likely to dissipate. And so the net result is, going back to the previous slide, slide 70, the blue line is going to head lower in net liquidity, and ultimately it's going to drag the black line and the red lines, which are Bitcoin and the S&P 500, down lower. And I think Bitcoin's already kind of sniffing that out. As always, amazing insights from Darius here. But as someone who's never taken an econ class before, this macro outlook is going a bit over my head. Ash, can you break down what Darius is saying here and why he's paying attention to net liquidity, net liquidity as well as the reserves balance sheet? Nico, this is exactly the right place to begin, and I think exactly the right clip to start on. Darius is zooming the camera out here and giving us the big picture, the 50,000-foot overview, so to speak. He's talking about liquidity in the system, which we talk about so often. But what's different about this clip is Darius is giving us a specific metric we can use to measure that liquidity by. So remember, when net liquidity declines, financial conditions tighten. But let's break it down and talk a little bit about the specifics here, which I think Darius does such a strong job of showing in his example and in his chart. He's showing us this chart that uh, shows that uh, when the Fed balance sheet, uh, the Fed balance sheet plus the Treasury general account moves. So when you see the Fed balance sheet decline at the margin and or the Treasury general account rise, liquidity is drained from the system. So again, financial conditions tighten. Uh, Darius also mentions reverse repos as a mechanism for draining liquidity from the system. But what you can see here, really just as plain as day on that chart, is that when net liquidity declines, uh, we see a drop in both uh, in both Bitcoin prices 
prices and in the S&P 500. So essentially, what you're seeing here is this coordinated decline across risk assets as liquidity declines, as liquidity drains from the system, Nico. Thank you for that, Ash. Definitely uh, starting to get my head around this. All right, so let's take a look at this next clip and dig in deeper into what the Fed is doing and how it's affecting the markets. Let's take a look. You're obviously a macro specialist. We probably have folks watching this show who are hearing about reverse repo facilities for the first time. But the big picture interpretation, what you're talking about here, uh, is something that we've talked about a lot on Real Vision Crypto, which is the idea of central bank liquidity, in this case, the Fed, injecting into the system asset prices go up. And obviously, we've been in this quantitative tightening period uh, where the Fed is raising interest rates, pulling liquidity out of the system, and therefore driving down asset prices. You can see that uh, when you look at the correlation on that chart, chart 70, uh, between BTC and the S&P 500. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's the dominant driver markets and has been since 2009. I mean, it's our job as macro investors to identify you know, some of these things across various cycles in the economy, the growth cycle, inflation cycle, liquidity cycle, to ultimately try to predict, you know, sort of dispersion within and across asset markets. And very clearly, you know, the number one thing we need to get right as investors and as macro risk managers is trying to understand the Fed's reaction function, because the Fed's reaction function effectively controls the slope and the direction of the travel of that blue line on that chart on slide 70. So um, it's our view, um, based on the sort of dynamics we're seeing in inflation, um, that you know we might be coming to a crossroads here in terms of that that line, but the mo the balance of risk uh, still skew in the direction of travel being south, uh, both for the prices of those assets and mostly as a function again as the decline in liquidity. Well, it's so interesting. You talk about that blue line, that net liquidity line, and of course, the black line uh, and the red line, S&P 500 and Bitcoin price are pinned directly to it in terms of directionality and slope, as you said. I think you just said something there that may be a little bit shocking to people in the cryptocurrency space, which is essentially that this market uh, since the 2008 time period, which roughly coincides uh, with the birth of uh, Bitcoin, predates it, in fact, uh, that what you see then is effectively this correlation trade uh, being one that you see as liquidity comes into the system, you see that slope go up, you see the price of Bitcoin go up, you see the price of the S&P 500 go up. And then as you see that withdrawal of liquidity, you see the price of Bitcoin decline, you see the value of SPY, S&P 500 decline as well. Boy, that's, a, that's quite a statement. It really does look like fundamentally what we're seeing here, at least when you look at these charts, is central bank policy driving asset valuations. Probably not a surprise to people who follow the macro side of things, but probably an interesting way of thinking about it for people who are on the tech side who have been following crypto for some time. Yeah, no, and this is one of the things that, you know, I flagged back in October of 2020, um, you know, to me it became very clear and, and, and obvious at that particular point in time that, the digital asset space was getting incrementally correlated with the sort of trad five traditional assets. Now, there's a variety of reasons why that's the case. Obviously, I think uh, institutional adoption, broad adoption is part of the reason for that. You know, the, the investor A, who's also long XBX type exposure, fixed income type exposure is now going to have the same sets of rules, parameters and, and indicators to guide their exposure up and down uh, to those markets are going to take that same set of um, rules, parameters, and indicators, and try to apply it to the digital asset space. Now, whether that's right or wrong, it's happening, right? It's very clearly happening, and we've seen those correlations tighten um, in recent years. And particularly, um, this tends to happen whenever you're in a, um, a, a drawdown across risk assets in general. You tend to have correlations all heightening uh, both within and across asset classes. That's certainly something we've observed uh, in the digital asset space in the year to date in terms of um, you know, the altcoin uh, mayhem that we've seen in that space.
All right, I think I'm under starting to understand this a bit more. So what Darius is saying here is that the more liquidity there is in the market, the more crypto prices will go up. Is that what he's saying? If not, what is he actually arguing here, Ash? Yeah, you nailed it, Nico. He's talking about the correlation between liquidity and digital asset prices. You know, in this clip, he's covering many of the same points that he made uh, in the last clip, but from a slightly different angle. I want to double click on something that Darius said, because I think that this quote really sums it up incredibly well for our viewers. And the quote is this. Quote, clearly, the number one thing we need to get right as investors and macro risk managers is trying to understand the Fed's reaction function because the Fed's reaction function effectively controls the slope and the direction of the travel of that blue line on the chart. He's basically saying uh, here that the Fed is reacting to certain key macroeconomic variables, things like inflation and growth rates, and that essentially, in terms of the reaction function pricing digital assets it's the most important game in town right now furthermore he's also saying uh, that it's important in bit in bitcoin digital assets as well as in u.s equities so it's not just that it's the most important game in town nico it's that it's the same game in bitcoin and in stocks all comes back to what Raul says. Macro is crypto, crypto is macro. Indeed, one of the key events uh, most recently was a recent speech by the Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell. Going into it, some investors hoped we might see a pivot away from a hawkish stance of further increases to the interest rates. That didn't happen. So what does this mean? Let's take a listen to what Darius had to say. Most of our viewers are aware of what happened, the commentary that Chair Jay Powell said uh, at the Jackson Hole conference, obviously perceived as being very hawkish. We saw a dramatic decline in asset prices across the board after that speech uh, the following Monday. Uh, it's been you know, kind of a rocky period. Darius, break down for us the internal dynamics, the internal mechanics of how you view that change. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in summary, uh, I don't know, a lot of your uh, vis your viewers will probably not recognize uh, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. Uh, definitely go YouTube that if you if you haven't heard it. But uh, what Powell effectively said was was no pivot for you. No soup for you, no pivot for you uh, to global <laughs> financial markets. Um, By the way, this pivot, this pivot was this idea that markets had uh, that the Fed was going to pivot away uh, from a tightening stance uh, because of their fears potentially uh, of, of, un, of, of deceleration of the economy. So the Fed obviously always trying to uh, pivot between the Scylla and Charybdis of inflation and decelerating mm -hmm. growth in this particular environment. This idea of this pivot was that the Fed had done enough uh, in the view of some in markets to combat inflation and was going to start to decelerate their tightening. Uh, therefore potentially reducing the risk of a recession. That did not happen. Yeah, that did not happen. So effectively, uh, and in fact, we can actually show this visually. We have a chart on slide 73 here where we show, uh, so I'll break this down. The, the, the green uh, shaded area in the chart shows the sort of various maturity money market rates. These are market-based expectations for the Fed funds rate will be in three months time six months time, nine months time, and one year time across the four different panels um, and relative to the Fed funds rate. So the spread uh, between that, that rate and the spread, the rate itself is the blue uh, lines in each of those panels. Uh, the green line, as you can see, from basically June to the lows of July, the market started to say, hey, we're gonna get less and less rate hikes out of the Fed. And eventually we're gonna actually start to see rate cuts 
you know, let's call it sometime between nine and 12 months later, if you look at sort of the terminal Fed funds rate expectation as implied uh, by these overnight index swap uh, forwards. And so uh, what Powell effectively said was, hey, look, the job is not done on inflation. You know, if you look at inflation right. on a year over year basis or a three month annualized rate of change basis, we're somewhere between 2x or 4x the Fed's target. Um, and so Powell effectively came out and said, no, no way, Jose, we're putting the kibosh on this pivot speculation. And so now we are in what we've been calling at 42 Macro phase three of the of the U.S. monetary policy regime or this Fed reaction function, this new Fed reaction function. Phase one was characterized by the Fed effectively saying, hey, we were wrong about transitory. Persistent is right. The persistent camp is right, at least right for now. So we got to catch up to market expectations with very aggressive accelerated monetary tightening on the policy rate front and on the balance sheet front. In fact, uh, it's, you know, we're heading into September here and the federal, the, the, the pace of quantitative tightening is going to double to 95 or I want to say 90 or sorry, $95 billion a month. That's double the pace we've ever seen relative to um, the previous quantitative tightening episode in 2018, 2019, or sorry, 2017 to 2019. And so phase two was, again, you and I talked about this, just the, the market saying, okay, all this tightening that you've done is going to cause a recession. And right. we know you, we know you, Jay Powell, we know you like to pivot when things get bad in the markets or when things get bad in the economy. So we're going to go ahead and just price it in for you. You know, in 2023, we're going to say, hey, you're going to start cutting rates. You're probably going to start expanding your balance sheet. And as a function of that, asset markets from the June lows really started to rally materially. Um, we've seen it time and time again where Bitcoin um, um, troughs and peaks you know, uh, before asset markets, the leading indicator for broader risk conditions, because again, it lives further out on the risk spectrum relative to things like credit, relative to things like equities. And so it tends to take its cues from the liquidity cycle much more quickly than other asset markets. And so Bitcoin bottom, then we saw stocks bottom, and we saw everything rally throughout the summer, throughout July, and into the kind of early to mid-August. And since then, really, the markets have been sniffing out, particularly Bitcoin, as a leading indicator again, that, hey, the liquidity conditions we priced in, in terms of this Fed pivot, are actually going to be priced out based on the Fed's uh, renewed guidance and renewed commitment to, to combating inflation and getting it back to their target. Liquidity, Jay Powell, Fed pivot, lots to unpack here, Ash. Just what is Darius arguing? <laughs> He's arguing no pivot for you. You know, uh, this was a great sort of conversation with Darius, and I gave a lot of my thoughts about what I was thinking about his uh, his ideas in the clip. So I'll keep it kind of brief here. But essentially, the really short version of this TLDR is the Fed is not going to be riding to the rescue uh, here for asset prices. That's what Chair Powell, in effect, said at Jackson Hole. Uh, as Darius puts it here, the job is not done on inflation. We're putting the kibosh on the pivot speculation. So, you know, really, I think this really sums it up well. You know, we're just not going to see the Fed ride to the rescue uh, for investors here to help support those asset prices, Nico. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for that, Ash. Now let's take a look at Darius's expectations in the short and medium and long term for Bitcoin. Let's take a listen. 
I'll start from the longer term perspective. Uh, obviously, very bullish. You know, we're going to continue to see adoption. And more importantly, I think from a variety of reasons in terms of on the inflation front, we're likely to continue to see outflows from fixed income type markets and institutional investors looking for alternative ways to park capital and, and to invest. And I think digital assets in particular are going to be a big beneficiary long term from some of that flow. Um, from a medium-term perspective, we were talking, you know, two to four quarters, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I mean, uh, to not to mince words about it, but it's very unlikely that the Fed achieves its inflation objectives without more monetary tightening, um, without an uh, economic downturn. Uh, not saying a recession is the modal outcome. It's not the most probable outcome, but it's certainly, get, you know, we're getting close. And based on the how the, the, the next, you know, a couple of months of data might break, it may become the modal outcome. So investors need to be prepared for that because one thing that'll happen in recession is we'll stop getting inflows into things like Bitcoin, digital assets, you know, stock market, et cetera. And then it'll make the, the, the road ahead, you know, a little bit more challenging from a volatility perspective. Will we see new lows on Bitcoin? I think the jury's it's probably a 50-50 bet at this particular point. I think it's very likely that we retest the, the existing lows in this sort of, you know, kind of uh, reduce liquidity world that we're, you know, already in and going to continually head into. Um, will we see new lows? That, that'll that depend on a couple of things, not the least of which is, does inflation speed back towards the Fed's target at an acceptable rate that might allow the Fed to take its foot off the brake pedal a little bit? If it does not, then we're maybe probably going to make new lows. And so to answer that question today, I think you uh, you probably need your head read. I think it's more important to be analyzing the data in real time. Fascinating clip there, Ash. So just what is Darius arguing here and why should crypto investors care? Well, you know, Nico, the beginning of this clip is something that's really interesting because Darius switches his time horizons. Uh, he's talking about the longer term case for Bitcoin. Earlier, he'd been speaking about it from a cyclical perspective. Now uh, he's talking about it from a secular perspective. Long story short, Nico, he's bullish from a secular perspective. Uh, Darius sees outflows from fixed income and into digital assets due to inflation and some other factors. Uh, he sees institutional investors in particular coming into the digital asset space. You know, Nico, Raul has talked about understanding time horizons repeatedly on Real Vision. Darius sees a bumpy ride in the shorter to medium term. This is, in his view, two to four quarters, but he's bullish in the longer term. I think it really is an important point uh, to echo that what Raul has talked about, what I've talked about, understanding multiple time horizons and how asset prices can move in opposite directions along different time horizons and how, in fact, investors can position themselves for uh, asset prices to move in opposite directions on multiple time horizons, Nico. Thank you for that, Ash. Now, on to our key takeaways. Here's what I've learned today and what the viewers can take away from your conversation with Darius. First off, Darius walked us through why financial conditions tighten due to federal balance sheet declines and or the Treasury general account balance rises, i.e. when net liquidity declines, risk asset prices like Bitcoin drop as well. Indeed, we also learned how important the Fed's reaction to macroeconomic variables like inflation and growth are to the overall picture. It's actually the most important game in town right now, as Ash said. Overall, due to the above circumstances, Darius sees a bumpy ride for crypto in the shorter to medium term, but he's still bullish long-term. And to learn more about these great macro indicators and the space in general, don't forget to sign up for our RV Academy. Go to realvision.com slash the-academy to join 
today. All right, Ash, looks like we only got time for one viewer question. Apex Crypto on YouTube wants to know, Ash, do you believe crypto markets will ever decouple from equities? If so, what do you speculate needs to happen for that reality to take place? Ooh, Apex, great question. Uh, first, let me give a little bit of context here and a little bit of a framework for understanding this. So we are currently in a period, as we've been talking about, uh, where all markets seem to be correlated. The so-called correlation trade goes to one, risk assets trade one-to-one. -one. This is what we've been talking about in this show uh, in the framework of Darius's view of liquidity, where you see the S&P 500 and Bitcoin, uh, to cite the example that are shown on Darius's charts, essentially moving in exactly the same direction with relative uh, degrees of proportional correlation in terms of the magnitude of those moves. Uh, ever is always a really tough question to answer, but I will say this, in my view at least, for the next 12 months, we'll probably see this continued correlation. That's just based on the, the general market structure that we see uh, and the evidence that we have Right now, it's quite uh, quite strong for the fact that central bank liquidity is what's driving these prices. But let me answer the second question, which is a really interesting one, which is, what do you think would have to happen in order for that to be a reality? Well, one thing that could happen, hypothetically, at some point in the future is, if we saw long-term sustained hyperinflation, it would be possible, certainly, for to see a decoupling as investors would look for harder assets. <clears throat> you might also see a rise, for example, uh, in the price of gold. I believe it was Mark Yusko who pointed out on our air on Real Vision Crypto that we've never seen a decline over a substantial time horizon in terms of the price of Bitcoin relative to, to the Argentine currency, the Argentine peso. So the idea here is if you see a devaluation uh, of central bank currency, fiat currency, you might begin to see a decoupling there. But, you know, we're talking here uh, quite hypothetically, in my view, at least, uh, it seems likely to continue uh, to be in the regime that we're in, which is the correlation trade, central bank liquidity driving asset prices across the board, including crypto apex. But great question. Yes, great question and great analysis, Ash. That's it for today's show. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to comment, smash the like button, or tweet at us. Remember, this is your show. We want to hear from you. What's working? What's not? What guests do you want to see? What themes should we cover? Tomorrow, we got Robin Schmidt joining us for a breakdown on all things DeFi. Make, sh make sure to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto for free if you haven't already. And we'll see you tomorrow live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I can see on Twitter and on YouTube and all over the place that everybody's struggling with these financial markets. How the hell do we invest? How do we make sense of this world? It's too complicated. There's too many things. What the hell is a yield curve? What does it mean to me? How does inflation play into my portfolio? These kind of questions are really important and they remain unanswered to this day. And that's why we've done something very different at Real Vision. We've actually decided to solve that problem at scale affordably for everybody. That is the Real Vision Academy and the Real Vision Investing course. We've created this incredible structured course so you can truly learn how to navigate financial markets and become a better manager of your own portfolio, your own wealth and your own destiny. These are so important. The other thing about the courses that you find online, not only do they charge you a fortune, but it's basically done by somebody who's got no experience in financial markets. This is different. This is built by the head of proprietary trading at Goldman Sachs Equities in London, who also worked with me at the GLG Global Macro Hedge Fund, Lex Van Dam. We took his incredible course, which he trained people for the BBC show Million Dollars Traders, 
and turned it into something truly spectacular, taking it to when Lex never dreamed it could go. Now, Real Vision is always a little bit different as well. We don't make learning boring. I mean, we filmed some of these videos in extraordinary places like bunkers underground to pubs. We want to make it feel natural, interesting, immersive. So when you come out the other side, you are a better investor. Go to realvision.com forward slash the academy. See you there.